What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mac vs. Zach podcast for our official second episode. I'm Gerard Placido. This is my co-host, Mike Anthony Placido. And for this episode, the two of us will be breaking down both the New York Jets and New England Patriots and letting you guys know just how our beloved football teams did this past Sunday. Now, Mark Anthony, before we really get into it, how are you feeling right now witnessing a New England Patriot loss? You are 1-2, third in the division. Is the sky falling? Is it time to hit the panic button? Is the panic button still in the glass case? Where is your head at right now? After watching this game, the panic button is... Don't even press it yet, just because, you know, with 17 games, it's only week three, but you can wait a little bit because of how we played today. We played so poorly against the Saints, you know, suffering a 28-13 to loss which seemed to be a 35-0 to loss of how we played. Not a good game for Mac Jones or offense at all. And just bad, bad co- coaching throughout the whole offense, defense, and special teams. All in all, not a good game against the Saints. Now, we could definitely get more into that specific game a little bit later in this episode, but for now... We have to touch on the elephant in the room, and that is the fact that the New York Jets somehow managed to score zero points and fall to 0-3 against the Denver Broncos. If it wasn't evident already, the first game we will be discussing in this episode is the New York Jets versus the Denver Broncos. Now, on Sunday, it was a beautiful day. We went out east on Long Island with our family. The fall weather was amazing. Perfect amount of breeze, leaves were turning brown and falling onto the ground. Everything was set up for a perfect and happy ending for me as a Jet fan. And what I got was the polar opposite as the New York Jets, as I mentioned earlier, did not score a single point and fell to the Denver Broncos 26 to nothing. The Denver Broncos now 3-0, the New York Jets now 0-3. Now Mark Anthony, before I really dive into this one, how did you feel watching this game alongside me and many other Jet fans this past Sunday? I just wanted to turn off the TV. <laughs> same old Jets. Zach Wilson not playing the best, even though the game wasn't his fault. He didn't play great. He played average. And then just all in all, getting destroyed. 26-0 is not what you want to watch on a Sunday. Perfect, Perfectly good Sunday. This isn't a game you would want to watch, even if there's a hurricane going on outside and and the weather was awful and it was the worst day ever that, that this just isn't football that anyone deserves to watch i mean zero points in the 2021 nfl season that's impossible you know this isn't the old days where defense wins championships and no we're used to vegas putting the over under odds at 50 points for some matchups you know this is the new age of football the quarterback is king and this is embarrassing but we'll get more into what you mentioned earlier about who's to blame for this game and in my opinion hint hint I think there's a lot of blame to go around to many facets of this team but with that being said and before we get into this game in general we got an injury update for you guys and right now it is 907 the following day on Monday September 27th and as of right now, Elijah Moore officially has a concussion. He is in the concussion protocol. Tyler Croft is day-to-day with a chest injury. That about does it for the New York Jets side of things. But for the Denver Broncos, we got Dalton Risner, who's questionable for this upcoming Sunday after suffering a foot injury. Graham Glasgow, who suffered a knee injury, is questionable as well. In addition to those two, you got Jonas Griffith, who suffered a hamstring injury and is also questionable for this upcoming Sunday. Now, the last but not least, we got KJ Hamler, who tore his ACL and is obviously out for the season. That's a tough one for the Denver Broncos. Now, 
Are you ready for my first takeaway from this game? I'm ready. What is it? Can I get a drum roll? A longer one? Louder yes. ones? <laughs> my very first takeaway from this game, before I wanted to rip my eyes out and, like you said, shut the TV off, was our offensive line play. Have you ever heard of PFF? I think I have, but care to explain it? It's Pro Football Focus. It's an online database that a lot of professional personnel around the league rely on, and it discusses different types of analytics, all the nerd stuff that's football-related. Now, what the nerds broke down this week for us, as they do is every week, is every team's offensive line grade. Are you ready for the New York Jets line grade? Let's hear it. Can I get a drum roll? You got it. Starting off, we got our left tackle, George Fent. He got a whopping 63.3. What's a 63 in school? Failing. Failing. Left guard, Elijah Vera Tucker, 48.6. I don't even know if that's failing. I think that's dropping out of school and going down a different alley. We got Senate Connor McGovern with a 63.3, another fail. Right guard Greg Van Roten, a 60.3, another fail. And Morgan Moses, our right tackle, a 53.5. He will be joining Elijah Vera Tucker and dropping out of school. Overall, an average of a fail. This offensive line has been a failed experiment so far. I mean, you can't really blame the... You could blame the offensive line, yes. But what I was going to say is I don't know if you could blame Joe Douglas for this one. I think, obviously, he could have addressed certain positions in a better way. But with that being said, our starting left tackle, who is supposed to be the cornerstone of our franchise in Mekhi Becton, is out and is going to miss several weeks with his knee injury. So it is really hard for this offensive line to establish any sort of relationship and really get to know each other and mesh together. And I think it's rearing its ugly head in this game. The sad part for me, though, is that in Week 2 against the New England Patriots, despite an ugly loss and an ugly performance by Zach Wilson, I thought the offensive line did relatively well. I mean, to see PFF grades for Elijah Vera Tucker at a 48.6 for this week or our right tackle Morgan Moses at a 53.5 for this week by PFF is upsetting. I thought that off of Week 2, we definitely could have performed better and was going to carry what little momentum we created from that side of the ball into this week, but obviously I was wrong. Zach Wilson was sacked five times, and it was an awful day for our offense. As I mentioned eight times already, our offense did not score a single point. We failed to be competent. We failed to do anything. That's why our offensive line, excuse me, my offensive line, your offensive line is another issue, was my number one takeaway from this game. Now, as I hinted earlier with the offensive line play, let's talk about my second takeaway and do you want to know what my second takeaway was can you guess um zach wilson no actually i don't have any takeaways regarding zach wilson i could make a whole separate podcast series about zach wilson if i wanted to and how i feel about that but my second takeaway was actually piggybacking off of the offensive line performance and that was our inability to really establish the run and get into any type of rhythm Following week one of Robert Sala's press conference and what he had to say, the main takeaway I had from that was that Coach Salah wanted to play boring football, and I agreed with him. I thought that we were rolling Zach out too many times. I thought Zach Wilson was making too many plays that were not scripted. I thought that he he was finding himself in a lot of broken situations on offense, so I was all for playing boring football. Now, you cannot play boring football or really any type of football for that matter, if you can establish any sort of rhythm. And that is exactly what we failed to do. And that goes off of what I said earlier, and that's our offensive line play. I mean, we just had 
an inability to do anything, and that starts on the ground game. I mean, this is a team that really wants to establish a run and really kind of establish any sort of identity, and so far three weeks into the season, we failed to do so. We had all three of our running backs combined for 13 carries for 43 yards, the third running back being Zach Wilson for one carry and two yards off of basically a broken play and a scramble. So it really is Ty Johnson for three carries and 17 yards and Michael Carter for nine carries and 24 yards. Longest run of the game was 13 yards by Ty Johnson. You can't get into any rhythm if you can't get the ground game going because Michael Flores' offense, if there's one thing that we've seen between the preseason and the first few weeks of the season, that this is an offense that really wants to rely on the ground game, establishing the play action, and letting Zach Wilson to then do what we all saw him do in college, and that is launch the ball downfield, get guys open with his feet, make plays happen, and be special. And you can't really let him shine in an offense that does not have as many weapons as many other offenses around the league if you don't establish the run. Because, like I said earlier, without establishing the run, you can't really afford to play boring football. You can't really afford to play any type of football when your offensive line is letting your quarterback get sacked five times. I mean, you watch this abysmal offense. What was your number one takeaway from our disgusting, if you want to call it, football performance this Sunday? That clearly that you know, playmakers cannot, like, they did not have help Zach Wilson out at all. Along with the long game, the receiving game really wasn't at the best today with, you know, was it like five drops they had between Corey Davis and the other receivers? And definitely did not help Zach Wilson out a lot. Corey Davis, even Braxton Barrios, he, he was mainly the only wide receiver who had that one big play throughout the whole game. That put them in the red zone, and they still couldn't even score. But my biggest takeaway is that the playmakers, they did not show up today. It's just embarrassing for to be a Jet fan and watching the people you pay for, like Corey Davis, the big money, and they don't perform for you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Listen, I love Braxton Berrios, and I love that he's stepped up when his name is called. But with that being said, with the acquisitions we made this offseason between Elijah Moore through the draft or Corey Davis, our big money free agent, Braxton Berrios should not be our leading receiver three weeks into our season. Braxton Berrios is an excellent depth guy. He's an excellent wide receiver to step in and play in situations like last year when Sam Darnold wide receiver core was Jeff Smith, Braxton Berrios, and Denzel Mims for one week. But... This is supposed to be a new offseason. This is supposed to be a new take on the offense that Joe Douglas was willing to spend draft capital and money to help boost. But sadly, it, I mean, listen, it's a very early season. This week is the longest season of football ever, as we do have an additional game for the first time ever. But through three seasons, there's reason to panic and, and think that that's not the case this year. Because like you said, despite his week one performance, Corey Davis has not shown up. Elijah Moore seems to be still getting equated to the uh offense and the NFL in general and Keelan Cole has been a no-show Denzel Mims hasn't been active for the past two weeks it's a lot of figuring out that needs to happen and a lot of figuring out that needs to happen quickly because pretty soon you'll be looking at an 0-8 start 0-9 start I mean the losses will pile up and next thing you know if if we aren't already we're looking at becoming the next Cleveland Browns the ugly Cleveland Browns not the good ones and with that being said when it comes to ugly, this is my third takeaway and something I thought was the ugliest part of this game, and that was just how undisciplined we were. With any new coaching staff, you almost expect your team to be undisciplined to an extent, but for a guy who really preaches all gas, no break, and the fundamentals of football and the little things, to see us have a team that results in eight penalties in back-to-back games and five in the first, 
it's you know it it grabs your attention it's frustrating it's penalties are drive killers penalties are get out of jail free cards for uh defenses at times and and offenses at times and it could definitely be the difference between a win and a loss i mean for this instance when you lose 26 to nothing that's not the case penalties are not the reason we lost it's a partial reason as to why we lost but it's not the full reason and in this game it's eight penalties again for the second week in a row like i mentioned before and this third and last takeaway really kind of sums up everything you can't get into rhythm because of the penalties your offensive line plays poor eight times out of ten that probably leads to a penalty because they are playing poor guys are blowing past them they have no choice but to have that extra tug on the jersey to have the illegal hands to the face to do to do the things that we saw them get called for this game and penalties can just suck the life out of your team any sort of momentum you have going could end any potential you could have for a big play comes to an end, any big run might get called back and is just an emotional, takes an emotional toll, I could imagine, as an NFL player, especially on a young team. So I think with those three takeaways from this game, it equals one ugly recipe for disaster. And this 26 to nothing blowout in this 0-3 start to the season definitely, you know, is a result of that. And now with that being said, We'll take a look at the New England Patriots, the New Orleans Saints, and I'll give you the field and you let us know just how bad or good, how you're feeling, whatever the case may be, let it all out. Before we talk about the game, I just want to get get the energy, the injuries out of the way. There's only two, one from the Saints and one from the Patriots, both really devastating for each of the offense, starting with Saints starting um, Pro Bowl left tackle, Teron Armstead. He did... Um, come down with a elbow injury and is reportedly it's not season season ending injury, but he is out for a while, a couple of weeks by Ian Rappaport. And sadly, when I saw this, I was I wasn't really the, in the best mood. James White, probably our most productive player on offense, did come down in the game yesterday with a hip injury, and he got caught off the field, and he is going to be put on the IR. Thankfully, is not. Um, season-ending injury, but with my first takeaway of this game, the one game did not show up today at all. And let me ask you something: Who do you think was the leading rusher in the Saints vs. Patriots game? If you're asking me, I'm assuming it's someone I shouldn't expect, so I'm going to say Mac Jones. You are correct. <laughs> Wait, are you, am I really? <laughs> yes, you that's are. embarrassing. And I mean, I shouldn't be speaking, but. Mac Jones, he's mobile, but he's not like Omar Jackson or Justin Fields. But he had six carries for 28 yards, and then followed up with Damon Harris for 14 yards on six carries. James White, of course, before the injury, six yards for one carry. J.J. Taylor, two yards on one carry. And Brandon Bolden, our veteran, three carries for negative one yard. <laughs> Clearly, the running game did not show up today, which we really didn't want the ball at all this game because we were down by the third quarter, 21-3. And that led to Mac Jones known for 51 times. Reminded me of Joe Burrow from last year and only completing 30 of those passes. And to win a game, you need to rely on the one game to help out your quarterback because you need to make your quarterback feel comfortable. And Mac Jones really had his worst game of the season yet. He was not comfortable, clearly, with 270 yards passing, but with three picks and one touchdown and credit the 
offensive key players did not help him out, like Johnny Smith, who really, it should only be two picks, but Johnny Smith had to drop the ball. We will get to that in a second, but what I was saying, you need to you need a good run game to win a football game and to help out your, and to help out your quarterback and to set up like what you said the Jets with the play action, you know, um, make faking out the defense. But I was not happy with this one game because usually for the Patriots we rely on you know the one the one game more than the pass game. Usually the one game works, but against the Saints, um, it was it did not show up. Yeah, Mac Jones, he shouldn't be throwing fifty one times. I mean, honestly. No quarterback should be thrown 51 times, and I think that that's an absurd amount of passes, obviously, for a rookie, and I it's going to rear its ugly head. I mean, three interceptions is an example of that. But piggybacking off of what you said, and I think you did a great job saying it, without establishing the run game, you force your quarterback, your rookie quarterback, to throw it 51 times. And honestly, 30 completions out of the 51 attempts is not awful. But... It could have been a lot better if they did what you just said and established the run. Any situation with a rookie quarterback, whether you're a poorly ran organization like the Jets or a team that's known to have success in the New England Patriots, if you can't get the run game going, your rookie is your rookie no matter who he's playing for. And he wants to feel comfortable. He wants to feel confident. And Mac Jones has been feeling confident and comfortable lately. But when you see him unable to get into rhythm and really feel that confidence, you see him suffer and his rookie woes show themselves in the three interceptions as a result of that. But you gave one awesome takeaway. What's your second takeaway for this game? This is actually a, a funny one I saw I saw earlier. And what I totally agree with is, it's kind of like a rhetorical question, but how much money did the pages spend on you know the skill players in the free, in the free agency? We entered during like the free agency period with a lot of cap space, and we brought in all these players: Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, Johnny Smith, Kendrick Bourne, all to help out. You know, I thought Cam Newton, but for Mac Jones, and only Kendrick Bourne showed up in that game. You know, ninety-six yards on six catches for one touchdown. Impressive. We, I love to see that. But you go down, Nelson Aguilar, who quote unquote supposed to be our number one wide receiver. Only had two catches for 17 yards. Hunter Henry, five receptions for 36 yards. And Johnny Smith, who played poorly, a catch for four yards, and ultimately gave Mac Jones another interception to pat onto the stat. And it was like, first of all, we were talking about this earlier. I We both did not like the Johnny Smith signing when we signed Hunter Henry. Well, we, we signed Hunter, um, Johnny Smith first, and then we signed Hunter Henry. We should have just stuck with one tight end. And then spend more money on a better wide receiver, but mostly two tight end system. I hope it works out, but I was not impressed with the new players we had for this game. Well, I think, and that's the most concerning part is that you threw fifty one times, and you would think, okay, we threw fifty one times, completed thirty times, at least maybe half of those, you know, fifteen. Let's say fifteen out of the thirty completions. Oh, that has to be towards one of the key people we signed, or the combination of some. But it really wasn't. It was guys who was already established in the in this offense and in this team. I mean, Kendrick Bourne, like you said, was a free agent acquisition from San Francisco. He did pretty well, six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. But it was really guys like Jacoby Myers who helped this offense succeed through the air. And Brandon Bolden was three catches, Jacoby Myers nine catches. Hunter Henry did have five, which was, you know, you definitely probably like to see that as a Patriot fan. 
But other than that, your other acquisitions, like you said earlier, Nelson Aguilar only getting open two times for two receptions. Johnny Smith had one catch. You had a couple of drops throughout the game. Um, and Hunter Henry, he did well for what he had. I mean, five catches for 36 yards. Overall, it just seems like the New England Patriots had a tough time moving the ball until the end of this game where it was basically garbage time. And that's a little bit concern- concerning. It's a good thing and a bad thing that Jacoby Myers is stepping up, but it's like the New York Jets. You don't want to see Braxton Berrios be the only guy stepping up. You want you don't want to see Jacoby Myers being the only guy stepping up. You want to see them step up, but you also want to see them step up alongside your key free agent signings. And for this game, at least, they just didn't. Totally agree with you. You do not like to see that. And throughout this year, we do we are doing a lot of comparison, which I do not like with the Pages and Jets, <laughs> with the poorly run team we had this year. And for my final take takeaway, which I'm not ready for next week, but this team is clearly not ready for Brady and the defending champions. You know, along with the loss we had. The Bucks also lost against the Rams, and Brady was not really happy against that. He's going to take out his anger against his former team and to also break the the all-time passing yards, which only which all he needs is 68, and he's definitely going to get that. He might get that on his first play. I would love for him to get that play, uh, break that record. Excuse me, off of a pass to Gronk. I think that would be awesome. That would, I would be I'll be happy for that. You know, I love Brady. I'm not a hater, but. It is what it is. But think, yeah, that'd be a full circle moment to happen, especially in New England. But what are you saying? But this game is going to be a mismatch. You know, just like the Jets, New England, then they're, re- um, they're rebuilding. with We have a bunch of young talent, of course, at the quarterback and throughout our defense and our offense. And with against the Saints, the team looked so sloppy. We had a lot of penalties, a lot of drop passes. Play calling was really not the best by Josh McDaniels. He screwed up, he screwed up on the last drive that could ultimately change the um, way this game went, calling two one two ones on second and third down, like straight up the middle, and the second one to Brandon Bolden, which led in the negative one yard, which led to a field goal, and you do not want to see that. And you know I'm ha- I'm excited for next week, but. We had, but I'm just gonna wait to see how long Mac Jones could keep the game competitive against the Bucks until the Bucks start picking up momentum and starting to like unleash what they have against the Patriots and ultimately giving us another loss of the season. Now, before we close out this episode and before we move on from your game and back to mine for a quick second, you got to do it. I understand you lost, but you got to give one game ball to someone on this team. My game ball is definitely going to be Kendrick Bourne. You know, a lot of people didn't know who he was when we signed him. It was like, oh, another <laughs> scrub, scrub wide receiver you could find. But he he wasn't the number one in San Fran, but he's definitely looking like a good safety slash number one receiver for us with the 96 yards and the one touchdown, which he kept both his feet in and dove for the end zone. Like his effort, we um I loved. And I'm happy, and I'm waiting to see what he will do throughout this whole season with more big plays and helping out a young quarterback, Mac Jones. But I do give the game ball to Kendrick Bourne. Yeah, and I mean, that's what you want to see, especially from free agent acquisitions like we were talking about earlier. You want to see them step up when needed. I mean, 
it didn't result in a win. But at the end of the game, football is a team sport. And if there's one thing that the New York Jazz and Patriots have in common, sadly, it is that our star players and on both sides of the ball have yet to really put together a full-on, well-put-together final product that resulted in a good win. You beat us, obviously, but my question is, and you can answer this question, do you think if you performed the way you performed against us week two, against, let's say, the Kansas City Chiefs, do you think you guys are even close in that game? We would probably get blown out because at, in, at the end of the day, it's against the New York Jets, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, we have one high-powered offense and the one poorly-performed offense. You know, with that type of offense, yes, boring football is, is good, but with Mac Jones and his capability to launch the ball down deep, you need those big plays. And Mac Jones needs to learn that, you know, he can't rely on dump-off passes to James White or screen, two-yard screens to receive. He just needs to learn how to drive, drive the ball down the field. Zero on the board for us is that's a clear indicator that my game ball is not going to someone on the offense is going to someone on the defense and that person is Quinn and Williams. I thought in what was a ugly performance by both sides of the ball, Quinn and Williams had a little bit of what you would call a coming out party. I mean, welcome back to the New York Jets, Quinn and Williams. He had three tackles, one assisted tackle, and one and a half sacks. And I think that's definitely something I wanted to see. Quinton Williams ended the season very well last year. You want to see him build off. Kind of has not been able to shake off that rust. He did miss OTAs due to an injury. And you're happy to see him back. And I think he's coming back to form. And if, if we're going to lose, you at least want to see guys step up and continue to get better. And Quinton Williams did exactly that. So that's exactly the reason why he gets my game ball. Now, quickly, Mark Anthony, you guys do host the former Super Bowl champions, your former quarterback, Tom Brady, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you want to give me an early score prediction for that one? This is just me being smart and not like my bias again. in. 35-14 Buccaneers. <laughs> I mean, listen, for the sake of football and the fact that it's a Sunday night game, I hope it's a lot closer than that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that is the score. I think there's a def a definitive talent difference between the two teams. Now, for us, we host Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans without, hopefully, A.J. Brown, who did get injured in his last game. They do have Julio Jones. They have Derrick Henry, like I said before. And at the end of the day, we are the New York Jets. So I'm going to follow what you said and stick to being unbiased when it comes to my beloved New York Jets. And I'm going to predict that at home... The New York Jets will, if A.J. Brown doesn't play, I think we hone in on the run game and we do what we have to do against Julio Jones. So I don't think it's as high scoring as you may think. But I got to say, New York Jets 21, Tennessee Titans 17. Mark it down. The New York Jets win. That's all, folks. That's all we're going to say there. Thank you for tuning in to the second official episode of the Mac vs. Zach podcast. I'm Gerard Placido. Once again, this is Mark Anthony Placido. And please do not forget to subscribe to us on Spotify. You can find us on Instagram at mac.verse.zach on Instagram.com or the official Instagram app. And thank you again for tuning in. Have an excellent day, everyone. See ya.